Don't we serve a holy God? We're going to dismiss our Life Kids and the Bridge Student Network at this time. And I think I saw a box of CDs over there that Sister Hand has brought. So if you would like to see her after service, those would be a blessing to you. Did you enjoy that? We're so excited and such a, a privilege to have Brother Hernandez back with us again tonight. You know, it was so amazing to me just, just kind of walking through the altar on Sunday and seeing so many people have such powerful breakthroughs in the presence of God. It wasn't just one person. It wasn't just one side. It was all across this altar. There was people that were having awesome breakthroughs in the presence of God. And we're so thankful for the, for the word of God that came forth and for the ministry of Brother Hernandez. Would you put your hands together and welcome Brother Hernandez as he comes right now to preach the word of God to us. Praise the name of the Lord. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there. T-H-E-R-E. So apparently liberty isn't a feeling, it's a location. You might feel something when you get there, no doubt. But truly it's a signal from heaven where the Spirit of the Lord is, that's the signal. When you feel the Spirit of the Lord, that's God saying to us, liberty's here. The next thing that has to happen is we have to make a decision to step into that location or not. So when he says where the Spirit of the Lord is, that's so you can know if I jump into this with both feet, something's going to break. There is going to be liberty. Whatever I'm going through is going to be handled because of the location, not because of me, not because what you did right, not because of what you did wrong, but because of where you just stepped. That's what I love about God. He always preempts a place so people can know that what they're doing is going to have a particular resolve. In other words, repent. Be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall. Everything's about a shall with God. You just have to step where he's at. God is in in the business of supposedly, hopefully, I wish, if I'm lucky enough. I can't stand Christians that use lucky because that comes from Loki, which is actually the Lucifer, the Satan of the Viking gods. And I really don't want to wish that on anybody. Oh, I apparently I caught some of you. I'm sorry. Apparently... I got a shock treatment, too. I've never liked that word. I like the word blessed. Lucky comes out of casinos. Blessed comes out of heaven. I like being blessed. I never heard a song yet that was written amongst Christians that said, let's be lucky. I worship God and I'm going to be lucky, lucky, lucky all the day. Uh -uh. No, blessed, blessed. I am blessed and I know that I am. Amen. So maybe you want to take that word out of your vocabulary. Hence, from now on, you might be blessed instead of trying to get 
lucky. That's just not even in my notes. That's just because somebody needs to step out of the world's world and step into another world. Doesn't the Bible say there's nothing new under the sun? Making that summation of the ecclesiastical writer. You know what it's alluding to? That everything new is not under the sun. Everything new is above the sun. That's why he calls it a new heaven. That's why he calls it a new earth. Why? Because those are above the sun. That's why he says you can get new blessings every morning. Great is his faithfulness because that comes from above the sun. That doesn't come from below the sun. Everything below the sun is cycled. Everything below the sun is recycled. But when God opens the heavens and it comes from above the sun, you can plan on it being new every morning. Now, I want to talk to you about a dimension that God was trying to implement with the disciples because apparently if the leadership couldn't get it, the rest of the body wouldn't get it. Most people that show up on Tuesday nights have leadership potential. The ones that never do probably don't. I worked a 17-hour job too and never missed church. Because I made sure that no job got in the way of my church. You say, you don't understand. No, I lived it. I do understand. Working 14 to 17 hours a day, running five different ministries in the church in Boston in the middle of the snow. I do understand. And we never miss church, right? Because we don't miss church, boss. So you're going to have to give me Tuesday nights off and Sunday off. Well, I can't do that. Well, I can't work for you. Oh, I think I'm warping some of you right now. We're not even getting started yet. I'm trying to help you understand. The just shall live by faith. This is a faith walk, not a foolish walk, a faith walk. Now, I'm not preaching you something I heard I'm preaching to you tonight something we lived. For the last 26 years, we've lived by faith. We've left our secular jobs, and we had good jobs. It wasn't because we couldn't find anything else to do, so we evangelized. Oh, no. Oh, no. We both had excellent jobs. We had a six-year-old house. We had a brand-new truck. I had a Mustang, and we sold it all to hit the evangelistic field. We were 30, I was 30, she was 29. We left our entire careers on one revival. You may be seated. Now, I'm not telling you about us tonight. I'm telling you about faith tonight. Faith that's literally going to unbound finances, unbind, amen, depressions, unbind cyclic patterns, unbind. Here's the four things we're going to touch tonight. God's going to disconnect you from worry. He's going to disconnect you from fear. He's going to disconnect you from doubt. And he's going to disconnect you from reason and question marks. Clap your hands unto the Lord. He's on a process and a path to loose us from this world cycle and tie us in to a world above. Possible. It's probable. It's likely. 
but you got to let God do it. Look at somebody say, you got to let God do it. He won't ever force you to do something. He'll just present the table before us and he'll say if you'd like to we can go a little further you're never going to exhaust God in the journey and say I've got too much faith God can't handle me there's never going to be enough faith for you to exhaust everything God's got on his mind he's got more blessing than we've got crisis he's got more triumph than we've got trial he's got more success than we've got failure but he needs Need somebody to step a little further and not allow the cycles to consume our psychologies and mindsets to get in the way of what Jesus was trying to implement upon the earth. Think about it. Prior to prophetical dimensions, that faith dimension has to be activated, but it has to be activated beyond the world that we're consumed with. Otherwise, you'll get entangled. And I use the word very carefully, entangled, because worry, well, that's just how mama was. That's the excuse to learn how to live with entanglement. Worry did not come from heaven. And if it came from your mother, it still wasn't from God. Worry was not designed to be a component of this kingdom. Otherwise, he couldn't be the prince of peace. Because the prince of peace and the prince of worry don't live in the same house. So if you've got worry, you can't have peace. And I've come to the conclusion, whatever part of my life or my house doesn't have peace, that means something else is attacking it that's not coming from God, and it needs to get out of my house because my house is supposed to be a house of peace where the peace of God that passeth all understanding can rule that place. So if there's an area of your life and you think, I don't have peace there, that needs to get fixed. 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 I can preach this four times, but it's going to be a long night, so it would be better if you said amen the first time. <laughs> Most prayer, prayer is based on need. It's not based on him. Think about when you approach God the most. You cry out the most. You stay at the altar the longest. Most of it is structured around what we have need of. But what would happen to us if we stepped beyond need-based prayer and we stepped into kingdom-based prayer? What would happen if all of a sudden, instead of what's on our minds came to pass, what's on his mind came to pass? What would happen if all of a sudden we came and said, God, you know what? I really don't have any requests. I have situations, but I want to know what you're thinking because you've already thought all this through. So if you can just release what's on your mind into my world, whatever comes my way is going to be exceeding abundantly above all that I could ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. So I got to thinking about 
how the Lord was trying to structure his disciples and take them on this journey. And he didn't do everything at once. He, it took him three years to kind of unfold the pattern to try to help their, their concepts and their approach to him change. Because think about it. When you read the Gospels, most people that came to Jesus came based on their current need. Leprosy, blindness, crippledness, somebody dead, somebody dying. Everything was based on current issues, current affairs, current situations, current governmental crisis that they wanted him to overturn, fix, repair, restore, recover, resurrect, whatever the case was. But everything was current in front of them, whatever was right here, whatever was bugging them. But what if we stepped into a world that actually is available? What if we stepped into a world where that was not the consummation? What would come out of our mouths that would trigger heaven to now hit earth that would supersede everything that overwhelms us? What would happen if the trigger point, which I call the church, that's like the trigger to the pistol, because if God pulls it and all that's on that chamber, amen, is stuff that only goes as far as me, that bullet can't travel very far. But what if that thing is on the premise and preface of everything that's established in the heavens and all of a sudden my faith is just used as the church to trigger what God has on his mind? What if our corporate prayer just triggers what he's been thinking all week? What if my faith just triggers what he's had on his mind for an entire Southern California? What if my prayer, as I open my mouth, all of a sudden releases God to do more than what's on my will? What would happen? I'll tell you what would happen. Azusa would happen. Azusa wasn't the prayer of people trying to get personal answers. Azusa was the prayer of fire hitting the earth. Azusa was the prayer of God. You got to hit this earth with the fire of the Holy Ghost. When they started praying kingdom prayer and their will was not preeminence. God started knocking people down as they got off the train a mile away from that site. It is written in the book, and they told their story, which is actually the children of Azusa. It's a phenomenal read. I wept as I read it on an airplane. They had upgraded me to first class. I was on my way to Columbus, Ohio. I, I read that, and I don't read fast, but that one I did. I read so fast, tears are just running down my face. I can't stop reading that book. Businessman's looking at me like, what is wrong with this dude? But I could care less. I thought, oh, God, that's supposed to be our church. That's supposed to be us. That's supposed to be happening right now upon us. Why isn't it? Why isn't it? Why do we have to create an atmosphere? Why don't we just pray and release what's on your mind and what's on your mind has the atmosphere built into it? I mean, people would walk in, teenagers that were crazy because they'll try anything. 
twice. We'll do it once, but they'll do it twice. They'd stick their fingers in people's mouths that didn't have teeth and feel the tooth coming out of their gums. See, you don't even respond to that. I could tell you about somebody demon-possessed that was delivered. You'll respond to that. But I tell us about the supernatural, and we're like, never heard that. Huh. Some people even to the point of, that really happened. Well, I don't know. I didn't see it. Why? Because we're so accustomed to dealing with devils, we don't even know how to operate where angels are. Why? Because our faith has been damaged and been limited to access to only the stuff we need. So God, the Lord, Jesus Christ, literally starts taking them on this journey. And I want to I go quick because I know this service is shorter than the last one, and I got twice as much stuff. He's telling me, take my time. It'll be you, me, her, and her, and him. Us four and maybe a few more. Watch this. So I, I'm watching something. He tells him, he says, okay, you want to know how to pray? Because remember what he said? Remember when, when they asked him in Luke, they said, look, John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray. Teach us to pray. Now, why would you ask somebody to teach you to pray? The only reason you'd ask that question is because they had success. You ain't going to walk up to a skinny guy, ask him where the best restaurant is. You walk up to a fat guy to ask that. Why? You don't know what that dude's been eating if he's been eating at all. But you know the fat guy's been eating. It's like, man, whatever you ate that made you like that, I want just a little taste of it. I can't eat it every week. But, man, I bet it was good. Or you wouldn't have eaten that much. So when I go in a strange area, guess what I'm looking for? The fattest guy around. I want some good greasy slapping your mama kind of hamburger. That's who I'm going to ask. Well, when this, those disciples watched him heal the sick, watched him raise the dead, watched him open blind eyes, watched him turn water into wine, they said, wait a minute, whatever he's doing, it's working. We don't want to ask some cat that's not having results. We want to ask the master, what are you doing? What do you have in your juice that I don't have in mine? So they said, Lord... Teach us to pray like John taught his disciples to pray. Because you are having success. So I said, okay. You want to know the concepts from above? Let me help you. He said, when you pray, address your disposition properly. Our Father, who art, Where? In heaven. Why? Because the first disposition you should have of Jesus is not a resurrected Christ out of a tomb. That's not the last disposition they saw. The last time they saw Jesus was not coming out of the tomb. The last time they saw Jesus was being ascended into the clouds. Why? Because the last perception you're supposed to have is not just a risen Savior. It's an ascended Savior with angels on each side of him. That's the disposition you need to have. Why? Because if you understand it that way, every time you look at Jesus, you're not looking for devils. It's automatic. You understand there's going to be the angel of the Lord that encamp round about us, amen, who fear him and delivereth us. 
I don't go looking for devils. I don't need to. When God gets to moving enough, they'll come looking for us. Paul, I know. Jesus, I know. You, I know. Who's that guy? Right? Acts 19. That's what happened. So watch what he does. He says, look, this is the way you do. Get your disposition in the right place. In other words, get your eyes off the earth. Because everything around you is going to try to pull on your attention. That way your prayer is always limited. And your prayer is always stuck in this dimension. Which I want to preach to you about tonight. Little faith. Little faith. Where most people live. Little faith is the place where God provides, God can supply, God can answer menial requests. But great faith is a different place. I want to get from little faith to great faith. Not to visit it, to live in it, to walk in it, to germinate in it, to think in it, to breathe in it, to speak in it, to have it, and to have it wrap itself around me where little faith isn't even a temptation anymore. Why? Because they said one time in social thinking and, and the structure of man-made philosophy that good is the greatest enemy of great. So I thought little faith must be the greatest challenge to come out of compared to great faith. Because great faith is only twice in the New Testament in the writings of the Lord. Jesus, we'll get to that if we get to that. Hopefully we'll get to that. I'm not like your pastor. I won't be here next week and next week and next week to finish the series. So i got to hurry. Amen. But watch what, what happens. He gets that privilege. i got to cram it into you as fast as I can. So here I come. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. You know my prayer has been lately the last several months. So how is it in heaven? So what is going on in heaven? I want to know because one day I'm sitting in Palm Desert in my house and an angel comes up as I'm trying to repair a, a spa pool and I, I didn't do a good job with that one, sister. We ended, ended up cutting it up and throwing it away. So that's how good I did with that handyman job. Didn't do very good. Anyway, I'm working by it. An angel shows up right beside me and I'm like, I freaked out. I'm just, I'm not scared. I'm overwhelmed and I start shaking. I drop my hammer screwdriver. I said, God, what do you want? So nothing. The Lord didn't say anything. So I walk around. For three days, that thing followed me around. It went in the house with me. It went in the car with me. It went everywhere with me for three days. I'm thinking, God, what do you want? Whatever you want, I'll do it. Speak to me, Lord. Nothing. I thought, what's this for? You know, because that's what the natural brain does, because we're so educated. We want God to explain everything to us. God doesn't know us an explanation. He will give us a revelation. And so, Lord didn't say anything. Got in the car Sunday. Brother Tom Koppel was in a condemned building where their new building is today. That building was condemned where they were at on that piece of property. They weren't even supposed to be having church in that little old run-down raggedy place. It was a shack. And we were headed to that service on Sunday. We got in the car. Angel got in the car with us. I thought, wow, I didn't tell anybody. I got to the church. I walked about five steps into the building and it detached. I could feel it. I thought, it's for here. It has come. I don't know why God sent it that way. Why do you have to know everything? No, don't spend your time trying to figure him out. Spend your time trying to believe him. 
And so, so I just, hallelujah, that's awesome. That's great. I'm glad it hung out with me for three days, better than a demon. Talk to me, somebody. You'll get more accomplished with angels hanging out with you than you will with demons. You talk about peace. You don't even have to ask for it. It's just there. So I, I step to the pulpit. I don't say a word to anybody. In five minutes, where the couple gets to the pulpit, he says, I don't know what just happened, but a shift just came in this building. There's a huge angel that just walked into this place. Here we go. And so I asked him just recently, because I'm trying to incorporate it into a book I'm trying to finish, help my dear brain, Lord Jesus, to do this thing. And it's about how God sent them an angel so when they got into their building program, they could finish it. And God sent them an angel to help them with their building program. If God sent them an angel to help them with their building program, don't you think God has assistance and availability to send stuff to you? Amen. For the allotment of what you're not only in, but what you're going to walk into. But you know what that requires? Open faith, great faith, as it's termed in the Scriptures. Not limited faith whereby it is strapped to a condition. See, faith isn't really permission for God to do what we want. Faith is really permission for God to do what He wants. So, well, I've got faith and God didn't do what I wanted. No, you really didn't have faith. You had hope. There's a difference between hope and faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. So when you step into the faith arena, the evidence, amen, literally began to manifest itself because of the platform of faith. Watch what he does, though. Because, see, you've got to know that when God speaks, he speaks in terms of kingdom perception. Ever been on an airplane? How perspective changes when you're looking down 30,000 feet? And now you can't even see your house? How perspective changes when an entire state now looks like this and you can put it right here inside of your eye and you can look and say, man, this covers the whole state. But it takes you hours to drive through when you're down in it. And God says, when I think of how I'm going to bless my people, I'm not thinking from earth to heaven. I'm thinking from heaven to earth. So when I'm looking at what you're going through, imagine how small your request must sound when you say, God, I got a financial crisis this week. If I can just make it through this week. God's looking at your entire life like this, a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. And he says, just let me breathe on that vapor and watch how much comes out of one breath. And it began to cause my brain to shift and think in terms of how is it that you're really thinking? Well, here's one example. He sends ten plagues, according to, to Pharaoh, ten miracles, according to Israel. Really, that's what they were. God sends ten miracles to harden, amen, whose heart? Well, let's see, Israel was already hardened because they'd gone through so much that God had to convince Israel, not Pharaoh, because Pharaoh, the Bible says, God had to harden whose heart? Pharaoh's heart. Like, wait, whoa, 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 what? I had to harden Pharaoh's heart. Why? 
Pharaoh wasn't the one having trouble believing. After the first plague, Pharaoh was convinced. And God said, no, quite yet, they won't leave. <laughs> I'm ready to do this thing. I am going to deliver three million plus people out of your hands. And you're ready to let them go, but they're not ready to take off yet. So I'm going to have to harden your heart for nine more plagues. Sorry. Because sometimes those that think they know me the most are the hardest ones to change. Why? Because they get in cyclic patterns, cycles that don't want to break because you get to a point, well, he'll provide for me. I'm going to be okay. I'm barely making it. Yeah, but you missed the point. God's intention wasn't for you to barely make it. God's intent wasn't for you to drive a Cadillac. God's intent was for you not to even worry about that. That wasn't even the condition. His whole concept was, I'm trying to get your thought process out of how the Gentiles think. I'm trying to get you completely out of that genre. I'm not talking about switching from poverty mentality to prosperity mentality. God's saying, I'm trying to remove that thing entirely. Watch. Here it is. Let's go to Matthew. Watch this. I don't have time. Look, look what God has on his mind, and, and I'll just fly by it real quick. When they got to the Red Sea, remember when they got to the Red Sea finally, and they started complaining again because they thought they were trapped? They, you know what they said to Moses? We would have been better off going back to Egypt and dying there. I thought, what? You know what God had on his mind? Just keep walking. I'm going to open the Red Sea. You imagine, do you think that anybody had that on their mind? Out of three million people, not one person thought of that. You know why? Because they were all vexed with cycle patterns. And nobody could think outside of this box and get into that box. But all it would have taken was one. He looked at Moses. He said, why are the people crying to me? He said, Moses, extend your rod. He said, okay. Come on. They're all gone. That's unbelievable. Common Christian word amongst us. That's unbelievable. Did you see that guy get healed tonight? Thank God you weren't praying for him. You're the one saying that's unbelievable. Don't let that person lay hands on you. People that walk around saying that's unbelievable. What do you mean that's unbelievable? That's what God had on his mind for that lady to jump up out of her wheelchair. That's what God had out of, on his mind for that cancer to disappear. All he did was just tell Moses, you walk, I'll do the stuff. Don't worry about doing the stuff. You just walk. But what? No, you just walk. Don't you worry about the stuff. You just walk. Why? you got to walk by faith. Let's get into it. Matthew chapter 5. Verse 6 says, Blessed are they which do hunger after what? Righteousness. Wait a minute. So if you take the preliminary verses before that, you know what they are? It's about getting rid of our stuff so we can finally start praying concepts that actually are in his world. 
That's why he says at verse 6, not at verse 1, not at verse 2, not at verse 3, not at verse 5, because verses 1 through 5 are the getting rid of self. You don't get to verse 6 until you empty yourself, and I empty myself of the concepts that are earth-based. Once you empty yourself of the concepts that are earth-based, he said, now you're going to be blessed beyond measure, because now your hunger and your appetite and your palate now have a different desire. They are no longer trying to get me to fix stuff. They're just wanting me to do what I have in my heart to do. So he says, blessed are they that do hunger after what? Righteousness. You know what that word means in the Greek? That word righteousness right there in the Greek means, amen, his claims. Not our claims. His claims. God producing his claims according to his will. That's when God is released, not bound by our requisition. Thy will. And if he'll fix this, this, and no, 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 thy will. What if he doesn't fix it? Doesn't matter. I wasn't asking. Thy will. It's kind of like that time I took two guys in San Jose, California, Brother Shoemaker's church, and I was praying for backs. I was praying for one guy. I was teaching this principle. While you're ministering to somebody else, God will take care of your stuff because it's the first time you take your hands off of it because you have your attention on somebody else. And if you'll get in the habit of ministering to others, God will handle more of your stuff than you could ever ask for. It's the people that minister to others more that get most of the blessings. You know why? Because they're not touching their stuff. They're not asking for their stuff. They're not handling their stuff. They've got their hands on somebody else's life, and they're trying to pray with them, minister to them, help them. And while they're doing it, by the time they turn back, they're like, how'd that get fixed? How'd that get fixed? How'd that? I wasn't even asking. How'd that get fixed? I'll tell you what happened. You got your hands in the kingdom, and God said, while you're touching something else, I'm going to go ahead and touch this that and the other and so I had these two guys pray I looked at the one guy Lord said use him so I looked at the one brother I said hey bro would you pray for him we'll pray for his back he said sure I didn't know this man I didn't know the man had been in gang banging lifestyle in San Jose East San Jose probably where I grew up and I didn't know he had had a rough life. He'd been in and out of prison. They'd shot him. A bullet had lodged into his chest. The bullet was so close to the lungs, the doctor said, we can't touch it. It's too dangerous. After three years of being in the church with a bullet stuck in his chest, cancer started growing around the bullet. So that's why he was in pain. I didn't know that. I just thought he had back problems. And... I said, why don't you pray for him? So he prayed for him as I asked. We got done. I didn't look at the guy he prayed for. I looked at him. And I said, how are you feeling? He goes, but, oh, my God. Oh, God. Oh, God, it's God. And he took off running. And the place went up and smoked. They took off. They went worshiping, dancing, praising God. Brother Shoemaker ran up to me. He said, you know why they're going crazy? I said, I have no idea. So he said, bro, that guy didn't just have back pain. He's been diagnosed with cancer. His body's been racked with pain. God's just healed him. I said, God, I don't even know what you're doing. That I was only supposed to be there Sunday. It's the only time in my life we stayed there nine weeks 
We saw 250 miracles. We saw eight documented cancers healed. We saw over 100 people receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost in nine weeks. It was just a God thing. Brother Shumate called me that Monday. He said, bro, he said, you're not going, yeah, you will. He said, you'll believe what happened. He said, bro, that guy went to the doctor. The doctor went in and tested him three times. He came out the fourth time. He said, he said, man, he said, it's not bothering me that I can't find the cancer. He said, what's bothering me is I can't find the bullet and I can't find the hole. Why? I'm telling you, there's a God in heaven that wants us to focus on these heavens. And he's going to do more than you ever thought possible or probable in your world. Oh, clap your hands unto the Lord. Somebody give God praise. I'm telling you, God is coming upon you so great faith can be accessed. Uh, it was during Easter time. Probably one of the greatest miracles we saw in that meeting. There were so many, it's hard to keep track. One lady with scoliosis with a nest spine was born that way, raised her family in the church that way. Overnight, God straightened out her spine, stretched her leg out, fixed her hips. When she woke up, she was perfectly straight. It was just sobering. It was, it was sovereign. I remember the lady that had cancer because of issues of blood right before the Easter drama God cleared all of her cancer all the nodes and everything was completely gone she told she told that when she walked in the office she said God I feel it the nurse is going to say these words when she walks into the office in a few minutes and the nurse walked in and said those exact words I mean, it, it got that clear. Why? Because when you get off of your stuff, you start hearing and you start speaking what's on his mind. How can we hear the voice of God if the only voice we have is petitioning him for stuff that we have? Does that make sense to anybody? And so it, she, she literally said, the nurse is going to walk in and say, I don't know why you're in here. There's not, a, there's not a trace of cancer in your body. The nurse walked in and said those exact words. She said, you can leave now. Yeah. You know what's cool? She in the drama, the Easter drama, was already assigned the part of the woman with the issue of blood. Man, when she played that part in the drama, I just fell apart. I thought, oh, God, she was weeping. The anointing was so strong. I think we had like 40 people get the Holy Ghost that night. It was so powerful. I thought, is this what you're trying to show me? Is this what you're talking about? He said, it's a start. I thought, a start? Could anybody handle a hundred soul revival? That's it? Rest of you don't want one? Okay, we'll take it. I said, can anyone handle a hundred soul revival around here? I think God's trying to challenge this church to align itself to what God's already been speaking into the atmosphere in this arena. Building? What? That's nothing. You let God change the hearts of men and the minds of men. God will shift it overnight. 
Don't you worry about. God's going to give you raises so you'll get the finances. God's going to give you positions you're not even qualified for so you'll have the finances. God's going to flood stuff, amen, through your life that you weren't even expecting. He just needs a platform. Oh, clap your hands unto the Lord. I'm not talking about survival faith. I'm talking about grave faith. Listen to how he does it. I got 24 minutes. That's hilarious. Watch how he does it. The number one element he talks about, Matthew 6, 24 through 31. Here's the subject. How does he start the subject matter? No man can serve what? So which ones are the masters? Watch what he calls the masters. For either he will hate the one master or love the other and love the other master or else he will hold to the one master and despise the other master. Ye cannot serve the master God and mammon. So then he explains it. Therefore, because of what I just told you about serving two masters, I say unto you, take no thought for your life. Food on your table, what you'll eat, what you'll have to drink, running water, nor clothing for your kids going to school or you going to work or shoes or socks or a shirt or undergarments or specialty things that I can't afford. God, how, how, am, I, how are my kids going to go to school in these rags? He said, you are serving the other one. Because you can't serve both. So you can't worry and then say you love God with all your heart. That's not true. The Bible says, everybody say the Bible says. The Bible says that we can't do both. And I know the Bible's right. Amen? So he said, take no thought. Watch what he said. Take no thought. What does that mean? There's thoughts in the atmosphere, and you have to make a decision to either take them or not take them. So a thought's going to come to you. How are you going to pay for that? How are you going to handle that? What are you going to do with that? You know you're going under. Don't pay your tithes this week. You're barely making it. You can't afford to pay your tithes. Ever heard that thought process? Oh, come on. Don't get all quiet like you're all saintly and everything. Come on. Talk to me, somebody. This thing's real. It's real for everybody. That stuff comes and attacks you for a reason. Why? It's trying to get you to buy in to taking a thought that's going to cause you to worry. Why? Then your prayer is based on that thought. Your prayer is no longer based on the kingdom. Your prayer is no longer based on the king. Your prayer is based on a thought you caught from an atmosphere that wasn't God-centered. And you took that thought, say, oh, no, what are we going to do? I remember Brother, Brother Stewart from Liberia. What a great man of God. They, they still live on generators today. 20 years later, after the gorillas came and shot everything, they would walk into orphanages and just shoot kids. 
Just kill them. 130 kids slaughtered on the floor. I talked to one of the owners of one of those orphanages, Richard in the East Coast, and multi-millionaire. He said, I just can't. He said, I can't go back. I can't go back to Liberia. Eli said, please pray for me, man. He said, my mind gets so angry. I get so vexed. And I said, I can't even think about God because I'm so consumed. When I walked in that orphanage and I saw blood stains everywhere. That's the missionary I'm talking about, Brother Stewart, that lives in that country that has lived off generators. You know what he said? He said, we were out of food. And I told the wife, don't worry. He said, God's going to provide. He always has. He always will. Don't worry. She said, but honey, there's no food in the cupboard. He said, put the plates on the table. He said, set up the silverware and put up the glasses because God's going to provide. Children, come sit at the table. But honey, I, told, I said, I know what you said. I said, but you got to hear what I'm saying. He said, God did not send us in the middle of Liberia so we could starve. He said, God sent us here because he's going to be our provider. He said, so don't you worry. Don't you take thought. He said, you take thought of what the Lord's about to do. He said, they closed their eyes. He said, oh, heavenly father, thou who art full of grace and mercy, Lord Jesus, we pray right now by the power of heaven that is coming upon this earth to make provision for the household of faith. And all of a sudden, in the middle of that, he heard plot. The kids opened their eyes and said, look, dad. And a chicken flew through the window and fell dead on their table. He said, let us eat. I tell you, he's going to make a way where there is no way. He's going to make provision. He just needs us to not take thought. Don't buy into that frustration. Don't buy into that worry. Don't buy into that trouble. Don't you buy into that oppression. Lay your hands on somebody close to you. Say, Lord Jesus, I pray right now that there cause you cause a mind shift that whenever a thought comes to try to take my brother's attention, try to take my sister's attention away from what you're about to do. Lord, that it doesn't have the capacity. Go ahead, lift your voice right now. I don't have the time. I don't have the time to tell you provision after provision after provision that God has made for my wife and I and family as we've evangelized throughout the United States and 54 countries of the world. But I can tell you, not once have we been laid on our bills. Not once. Not once. Matter of fact, one time we had a $15,000 debt because I had invested because I felt it was necessary that my wife and I travel overseas with Brother Cole to learn what we were supposed to learn for the purpose of ministry. We invested $15,000 that we didn't have. We were stretched. And I said, now, God, I believe we've done what you've asked. All we're asking you is just to do whatever you want. 
It could be 50000 for all I care. <laughs> Just give the rest of it back in. Ain't no problem with that. See, you won't think in terms of 10000 until you start thinking in terms of $10. See, because first it was tens, and then it was hundreds, and it was thousands. Now it's five. Now when they say give a $10,000 offer, and I'm thinking, sure, why not? That's happened four times already. I'm not trying to brag on us. I'm just telling you how this thing works. It just keeps expanding and expanding and expanding. I don't have $10,000 in the bank. But when God says do it, I know he's saying it on the premise of what he already thought he's going to do. He's just trying to stretch me to make some more room. He's trying to create capacity. I'm freaking some of you out right now. Your faces are so warped. My lords are going to need a facelift after this service. Hallelujah. <laughs> Don't be afraid. Why? Take no thought. I'm not talking about being ridiculous. I'm talking about being tuned in. Where faith moves and has its being, has its operation. So, Lord said, buy this house. So we bought it wasn't our house. It was a rental house. We didn't have a bunch of extra money, but we had barely enough to buy it. We bought it. He said, okay, now sell it. Sold it. Guess how much we made? $15,000. Guess what it paid every single overseas trip that we took? God just keeps doing it and doing it and doing it. So what do I wait for? I just wait on the quickening. Just keep walking by faith. Why? The just shall live. The just shall live by faith. <laughs> he said, look, don't I take care of the birds? Is, is it life more than meat and the body than, than going to the mall and shopping? The fowls of the air, they don't even sow. They don't even pay their tithes because they don't have to. They're animals. So if you don't want to pay your tithes, God lets you be an animal. No, not really. You can't. That can't happen. We don't believe in reincarnation. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm not preaching false doctrine. I was just kidding, okay, just to make it clear on tape. Praise the Lord. I don't want pastor to get all upset at me. <laughs> Watch what he, why do you, he said, why do you, why do you take thought? He said, which of you by taking thought? can add one cubit unto his stature. How much have you fixed by worrying? How much sleep have you lost by worrying? Well, I know that's true, but, 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 but. And why take ye thought for Raymond? Why do you tell your family, what are we going to do? Don't you know what to do? Pray. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. Why, it's wrapped up in the kingdom. <laughs> he said, look, he said, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of the lilies of the field. And go back and study that. That's a whole other segment in itself. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which is today and tomorrow, it's thrown in the oven. Doesn't even have much value. Shall he not much more 
clothe you. And listen to what he says to them. Those of you that take thought. Oh, ye of little faith. He said, as long as you're taking thought, you're going to live in the world of little faith. Why? Because you cannot grow beyond the world of little faith by taking thought. You will live in survival mode. Yeah, you might make heaven. Yeah, 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 yeah. You probably will get there by reason of desperation. But what kind of life is that? When God designed this life for you to have peace, joy, righteousness in the Holy Ghost. We're not of the world. We're not in the world. We're not supposed to have houses full of strife and argument and frustration, depression, anxiety, stress, and worry. What kind of house is that? I'll tell you what kind of house it is. It's the house of little faith. And little faith always leaves you with very little. No, little faith is, actually, little faith in the Greek is lacking confidence in Jesus. You really don't trust him. Therefore, take no thought saying, what shall we eat? Take no thought saying, what shall we drink? Take no thought saying, wherewithal shall we be clothed? And then this is that culminating verse that everybody knows, but nobody attaches to what I just showed you. Verse 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. He said, start praying will of God prayers. I want you to lift your hands. Ask the Lord now to allow your mind to now shift from worry, to now shift from anxiety, to now shift from the concept, well, that's the way it's always been. No, change that conversation now. Say, God, it's not going to be that way. I'm going to make a concerted effort, Lord, to change the moments when thoughts try to come and overwhelm me and overtake me because I will not live with that kind of stress or anxiety or kind of overwhelming element that loves to get a hold of our house and try to consume it and consume the time that we spend talking about it, trying to fix it, and then nothing gets fixed. And then you do a miracle all so quickly. And the I pray for deliverance, oh God, to come to the house that worries. For deliverance, oh God, to come to the house, God, that has that kind of perpetual stress on it. That they can't even think clearly. They can't even eat, Lord Jesus, at a table without those things coming up. I pray here tonight. Release an angel, God. God, to cut off that strand of worry, to cut off that strand of pressure, God. Let the record that's it. Why don't you let that go right there? There's something working in the Holy Ghost. 
If you have the ability to talk in tongues, let the Holy Ghost minister to you and through you right now by the Holy Ghost that's upon us. That's why it's good to have the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues so you can allow dimensions like this, amen, to do their perfect work by the Spirit. That's it. Lord, dig into the root right there, I pray. Disconnect that part, I pray. In the confines of that segment of the life. That's it. Let the ministry of the Holy Ghost minister to you right there. God is healing right now. God is delivering right now. God is ministering through His Spirit right Oh, Lord, help me, Jesus. I got six minutes. God. Mm. Jesus. Jesus. I want you to let that germinate while we continue. Let me deal with the second element. It's fear. All four of these, he makes the same statement. He makes a statement, O ye of little faith, just for your reference. All four of these. So when I put them together, I realized it was a journey removing worry, fear, doubt, and reasoning. The four elements that perpetually we battle. And if you're not suffering from one, you're probably suffering from the other as far as being attacked with it. And so he tells them, get in the boats, Matthew chapter 8. He says, get in the boat, we're going to the other side. Is that what he said to them? Amen? That is the story. That's what he told them. Get in the boat, we're going to the other side. So they have their instructions. Get in the boat, you're going to the other side. So... They get in the boat. They're headed to the other side. There's a great tempest in the sea and so much that the ship is covered with waves. But he was asleep. Now, he's asleep in the boat. They're in a storm, but yet they have a word from him. They're going to the other side. Now, once they had a destination, once God had given them directions, it was their job to not fear. Because anytime you get direction from the Lord, the devil's not just going to sit and say, have a nice trip. Why? It's always his determination when you get direction to put up a fight. 
When God told us to buy the house that we live in today, it was prophesied three years before we would live in a gray ranch style home. We thought we were going to build a house in Texas someday. We had been on the evangelistic year 10 years, evangelistic field 10 years without a home. We had sold everything and hit the road like we told you. Brother Willoughby in Singapore at the time had turned us and looks, I believe God's telling you it's time to get a home. We said, well, whatever he wants, sure. Uh, Amor there with him looked, a guy on missions temporary trip on missions, looked at us and said, I see a gray ranch style house. I said, well, whatever God wants, that's awesome. So three years later, we didn't really think about it. The Lord sent us over to visit my cousin in Palm Springs area, and he had already lost his home. And he said, you need to look at some houses. So we looked. We'd never seen that area before in our lives. We had no reason to move there. We thought, well, maybe an investment house or something. I don't know, just something to, to pay attention to the future a little bit. And so nothing metabolized. We left. We went to Alaska. Three weeks later, the real estate agent called, long story short. She said, I found a house on the same block. You need to come see it today. She said, it fell out of escrow the fourth time. It's way under price. She said, it's a great deal. It's move-in condition. She said, your cousin could move into it immediately. I said, that's great, but we're in Alaska. She said, well, you, you need to do something. Send your cousin over to see it. I said, no, nah, you can't do that. I said, I'll tell you what. I said, my wife and I are going to pray, and I'll call you back in 15 minutes. She goes, okay. <laughs> she thought I was a nut. She doesn't think I'm a nut now. And so we knelt down in Eagle River by Anchorage, Alaska, and we prayed, and both of us felt peace. When you don't know what to do, follow peace. Peace will never fool you. Peace is God's signal that you're headed in the right direction. So when you have it, nothing can stop you. And when you don't, don't try to go that way, even if it's a great opportunity. Don't confuse great opportunities with peace. Great peace. You'll have regardless of all hell's against you. You can walk in peace in the midst of a storm. But you've got to just be in peace. If you're in peace, go for it. If you're not, don't even try it. We've watched people try it and fail. Because it was a good opportunity. They were going to get an awesome deal somewhere else, but they didn't have peace. Their spirits were stirred up, and they still went anyway. Some of us in this room have probably done something like that. You don't have to say amen. I understand. But we felt peace. We both prayed out my eyes. She said, I feel peace. I said, I do too. Let's buy it. What woman buys a house sight unseen? Give me a break. Come on, talk to me, somebody. That doesn't happen unless it's God. I said, well, let's buy it. Pictures didn't take... Now, I mean, we're talking 17 years ago. This ain't the day of just click, send, click, send, click, send. No, no, no. This is like real pictures coming out of a Polaroid, you know, that kind of deal. All right? Being developed, having to be sent. None of this other stuff existed at that time. Wasn't even technology-wise at that place. So all of a sudden, we're buying this house sight unseen till the day of closing. We never saw it. We only knew how many bedrooms, two-car garage, 1,300-square-foot home, not a big house. We drove up the day of closing to a gray ranch-style house. What am I trying to tell you? God says, listen, when I give you direction, don't you let fear stop you. Because I've got something on my mind I'm going to release into your hands that's going to blow your mind. And it's way beyond what you're expecting. 
I mean, we drove up, just, just to give you a synopsis, we drove up. My, my wife is a sweetheart. She's an awesome woman of God, but she can't grow plants. Anything she touches, she kills. She can play the saxophone like nobody's business, but she cannot grow plants, okay? She loves roses. It's expensive buying them every week. So God just planted them right by our driveway. He planted 10 old English rose plants. And anybody that knows roses knows the old English rose are like some of the best kind of roses. You can have thick old branches. I mean, they produce so many roses, they have to cut them down twice a year. It's just like, just... Then I love fruit, so he gives us a, in that little plot of land. I mean, it's a little box. He gives us a grapefruit tree, an orange tree, a lemon tree, and a tangelo tree. I'm going, how cool is that? I wasn't even asking. What? Just let me give you direction. And if I tell you get in the boat, get in the boat. Because when we get to the other side, I'm going to blow your mind. Now, get a different disposition on, on a tempest, okay? God tells you to do something, storm rises up. Don't think in your brain, what did I do wrong? God doesn't test us for what's behind us. He tests us for what's ahead of us. Don't ever forget that. Because the devil will try to use a storm to convince you that you've done something wrong. To get your attention off what God already promised he was going to do for you. And if you're in a storm, you're probably closer than what you realize to what he's about to reveal. So if you're in a storm, you ought to be the most shoutingest thing, not the cryingest thing in the house. If you're in a tempest right now, you ought to be the one running the aisles. You ought to be the one rolling on the floor because you're the one closest to your miracle. And God is about to reveal it. Don't let the devil use fear as your blocking point. You know where they were headed? In this story, they're headed to Gadara. You know what Gadara is? Gadara, go on your Old Testament map. Gadara is part of Old East Manasseh and Ephraim. If you go back to Joshua, the book of Joshua, Manasseh and Old East Ephraim are God's promises of inheritance to the children of Israel. What God is saying is get in the boat. I got something I need to fix. Hell thinks it owns this, and I gave it to my people a long time ago. This doesn't belong to the devil. This belongs to you. So get in the boat. You're about to step into part of the inheritance that I spoke 1,600 years ago. And hell has tried to put a block in that city to make everybody think it belongs to him. But I've got news for him. We're about to step out on the soil of Gadara. And I'm about to cast out 84,000 devils out of that city. Because the woman with the issue of blood lives there. Jairus' daughter lives there. I'm about to have revival there. 
So the devil, knowing what he knows and knowing who's in that boat, throws a tantrum. You see, storms are only tantrums. And what I love about tantrums is they have a beginning and they have an ending. The devil can only throw a tantrum so long. And if you'll just keep hanging on with faith that doesn't have fear wrapped in it. You know, for the old timers, I used to use the phraseology, fear is the dark room where people develop their negatives. For the young people who don't know what that means, I say unto you, fear is the hardening soil, hardening of the soil that doesn't allow the seed to germinate. So don't let fear become that crisis that literally stops what God put into motion or at least slow it down because temptations have the ability to change our speech. Fear has the ability to change the way we talk. And once we change the way we talk, we're changing the atmosphere. Because our speech is an invitation to the heavenlies or the hellies. What you speak is what you're inviting to come over to your house. You know, why, why would an angel want to hang out with somebody that's always talking a bunch of trash and negativism? That's not the same conversation they hear in heaven. So here's the beauty about praying, thy kingdom come. You start praying his kind of prayers. When you start communicating like he's thinking, angels start recognizing it down here. Once the angelicals start recognizing it around here, ask Caleb. There was another spirit not on him, not in him, with him. When he went into Jericho, the Bible says that there was another spirit with him. I looked it up. That word spirit is the word angel. And I thought, now why would an angel hang out with Caleb and Joshua and not hang out with the other ten? God said because it was that they had an evil report, right? They had evil speech, which the word evil we all know is the word negative, right? Okay, so they had that kind of speech. It did not attract that angel. Caleb had a different kind of speech. I think he started this stuff before he got back to the camp. We are more than able. I watched God open the Red Sea. We are more than able. I watched God send man out of heaven. We are more than able. I watched him give us quail in the middle of the desert. We are more than able. I watched him make our shoes not wear out and our clothes not wear out. And we didn't even have a Walmart. And we lasted with those clothes for 40 years. Imagine people that were two years old and now they're 42 years old. They don't wear the same size shoes. So what happened to those shoes? They must have stretched. Think about that for a moment. They said their clothes didn't wear out. I thought you'd get quiet. Trying to figure out how this all works. If God can stretch out a leg, he can stretch out a shoe. That's right. If God can replace a body part inside somebody's being, he can stretch out your clothes. Why? That's what makes him God. It makes an axe head swim. What? <laughs> 
axe heads don't swim. That's what you think. You don't know my God. When he says it shall be, it doesn't matter what you think. Somebody just needs to get aligned with it. So the waves start hitting. Watch what happens to their speech. Remember, he told them, we're going to the other side. But now their speech turns into, they go wake him up, and they say to him, Lord, save us. Huh? Who told you you were lost? Lord, save us. Wait a minute. Who have you been talking to to now start talking like that on my boat? Watch what they said next. We perish. Who told you we were going down? I told you we're going to the other side. Who put that thought in your brain to cause your speech to be altered? You're headed to your victory. You're headed to your promise. Don't change your speech now. Align your speech with the command. Align your speech with the prophecy. Let God... Remove that fear. You know what he said to them? And he saith unto them, why are ye fearful? What part of the storm made you fearful, O ye of little faith? I like the next three words. Then he arose. Do you know what happens when God gets up? I know what happens when God speaks. Check Genesis. But do you know what happens when God gets up? The Bible says it like this. Let God arise. What happened next? And let his enemies be scattered. If God gets up, it's all over. Once he steps up and gets up and opens his mouth, you can plan on the enemy being kicked out of your genre and your arena. Oh, clap your hands under the Lord. Give praise unto God. Stand to your feet. Let's stand. I know it's late. Let's stand. I won't finish. I'll just give you a synopsis. He arose and rebuked the winds and the sea. Here's the beauty of the storm. It's not our responsibility to rebuke it. It's his. Our responsibility is not to fear when the storm comes but to maintain the word that God spoke into our spirit before that storm came. And I promise you this, there's not anybody in this room or on this planet that has had a storm while they were in the church that God didn't give them a word before the storm. It never happens. Why? Because God wants you to be able to hold on to that word. And you and I maintain our faith while he rebukes, amen, the wind and the storm. And when he rebukes it, it's different than when we rebuke it. I tried rebuking it once. It got worse. <laughs> we were in Nicaragua, about to go to the last night of the crusade. It started pouring like cats and dogs, whatever that means. It was raining hard, hard. When it was blown, I opened the door. The curtains were going straight out. I thought, oh, God, the service is ruined tonight. And I started buying into that, and the Lord, Lord kind of used my wife. She said, honey, no, no way. I said, what? She said, come out here. She said, why? She said, you got to look at what I'm looking at. I am not exaggerating, honey, am I, when I tell them that the clouds were green. 
they had gotten so dark and the storm was so thick the clouds had green in them and right in the middle of those green clouds a rainbow showed up while it's still pouring and blowing and raining rainbows don't show up until after and I looked at that I said sorry everything's going to be We got in the van, it was still pouring raining. People still weren't coming. We pulled up to that crusade site, it turned into a light drizzle. People started coming by the hundreds. By the time we got out of there, 452 people had received the baptism of the Holy Ghost for the first time in their lives. I'm telling you, when God gives you that promise and that word, don't let fear dwarf and cause little faith. For great was the calm thereof. The men marveled. said, what manner of man is this? Then the third element is doubt. It's one there in the boat. This time he's not in the boat. They're by themselves. He trusts them a little more. Why? They've been walking with him a while now. They're in the church, if you will. Why? Because you can't doubt unless you had faith. <laughs> what are you doubting? So they were believers already. They had watched Jesus do all kinds of miracles. <laughs> but he's taken them to a different dimension. It's the dimension of the supernatural. It's the dimension of the fourth watch of the night. It's the dimension that we're in right now. Right before the dawning of a new day. He's praying up in the mountain. They're in the midst of a storm. They start trying to handle it. it winds are contrary. It's overwhelming them. They're kind of freaked. He walks on the water. <laughs> don't, don't think we're alone in this. People divert to the demonic world before they divert to the angelic world. Listen to this. I mean, it's Jesus. He walks on the water. Know what they said? It's a spirit. <laughs> One translation says it's a ghost. It's a phantom. Like... How willing are you to buy into an attack of the enemy than a visitation from heaven? Doubt causes you to do that. Doubt causes you always first to divert to the enemy. Faith always causes you to first divert to heaven. So where are you at tonight? What do you first think when you get an attack? God loves me. I'm about to get a victory. He trusts me. We're this close to a miracle, honey. Or, oh no, what did we do wrong? Ay, Santo Dios, ayúdame. Que hicimos mal. What bad thing's going to happen next? Right? Hmm. He says, Peter, big mouth, <laughs> if it's you, if it's you, Bid me come out in the water. Come. All of you. Come. Peter steps out. He walks on water. Cool. Looks around. Gets afraid. Starts sinking. Says, Lord, save me. It's hard to break old speech habits. Right? Somebody say amen. Oh, me, ouch, something. And immediately... But here's the cool part. I love this part. This is so cool to me. You know who gets immediately 
the one that steps out and walks on water. The other ones had to wait till he got to the boat. Because those that take a risk get it quicker. Those that say, we'll see, you have to wait till we show up in the boat with him. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand. He catches him. He says, oh, thou little faith. Listen to this. And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Did you catch that? He didn't even speak to it. He stepped into the boat. They were expecting him to speak to the storm like he had before. He said, oh, no, I'm going to show you. Now that you're believers, I'm going to show you another dimension where you don't even speak to it and it shuts up. Why? Because your focus is no longer on the storm. Your focus is now on me. And then would you come to the altar? The fourth one is reason. It's Matthew 16 where they reasoned among themselves because they had taken no bread when he was speaking of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It's when reasoning gets among us and we start the chitter-chatter that causes question marks to arise. And in the fourth element, he talks about, O ye of little faith. And the two elements, and I don't have time, you can get the tape and look it up. It's Matthew 15, 21 through 28, and it's Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. The first one has to do with a woman that he calls dog, remember? And she says, yes, but Lord, even the dogs eat from the crumbs that fall from the master's table. She would not get offended no matter what he said. He said, oh, woman, great is thy faith. He called people that don't get offended people of great faith. Why? Because as long as you're caught up in the four elements, offense is easy to get on, take on, hold on to. It'll grab you. It'll rob you. It'll steal from you, and you'll never have great faith. And you'll always exist with little faith. The question is, would you rather live in great faith, or would you rather live in little faith? He says, because once you get to great faith, you love my law. Nothing offends you. Nothing can affect you. Why? Because you're not living in the parameters where the, uh, hell knows how to get to you. Because hell has to use those four elements to try to get to you. Well, what happens when you step into great faith? How does he get to you? How does he attach himself to you? If everywhere he tries, there's no offense there. He can't affect you. Nobody can say anything that gets to you. I don't hear an amen. <laughs> you're, you're thinking it's impossible. It's not. The woman did it. She was called a dog. He offended every element of her life. Then the second one's a centurion soldier. He said, I'm a man under authority. Even though he was a man that actually was in charge of multiple of people, he said, I'm a man under authority, not in authority, not with authority, under authority. He said, I know who I'm talking to, and I know where I'm positioned, and I am completely submitted. Two elements that will keep your great faith intact, no offense and complete submission. If you live your life in complete, submission isn't when you agree. Submission is when you disagree and you still obey. Believe me, I've had my share. 
And I just submitted. I said, nope, it ain't worth it. I'm going to submit because I don't care if I'm right or wrong, he's right or wrong. I'm going to submit. Why? Because God keeps good books. I don't like this church. I'm going somewhere else. You're never going to make it. You're going to live in little faith the rest of your life. You can't take it somewhere along the way and learn how to submit and not be offended. You will never live in great faith. Turn to somebody you don't live with and pray with them. Ask the Lord to help them get out of cycle patterns and to get into the dimensions of great faith where offense can no longer get to their life and where submission becomes literally the edict of their walk. I pray for my brother tonight at the Lekorahashatanamahaya. God, you've talked to us. God, you've dug into our hearts. You've dug into our souls. You've dug into our spirits here tonight. God, I don't want to just exist in the church. I don't want to just make it in the church. I want to step into the plethora. I want to step into the origin. God, where divine operation is the perpetual proponent. Oh, God, that constantly has an openness because of his kingdom that desires to pour itself upon us, oh God, and do the perfect work of heaven. That no worry, that no fear, that no doubt, that no reasoning has an entrance gate anymore. God, shut the door of question marks that try to cause confusion in a house. Shut the door to fear that causes somebody not to get to their destiny. God, shut the door to doubt that would cause someone to fear the supernatural that you want to release in their lives. God, shut the door. Lord God, to worry that will try to consume the mind. You lift your hands and just ask the Lord rain.
Would you sing that? And speaking of the kingdom, just to let it rain, not just his spirit, but his entire kingdom, to start consuming every aspect of your life that God touched you with tonight. You know what God talked to you about because they popped up while I was preaching. Amen. Say amen if that happened. Amen. So those areas right now, just ask the Lord. to. I know I took more time than I should have. I apologize. I tried to do this as fast as I could. But I want you to lift your hands and just ask the Lord to let it rain on those arenas that popped up while the message was coming forth. Would you do that right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Open your mouth and talk in tongues. Let the Holy Ghost cause some germination in your spirit by the Holy Spirit. Let it rain, let it rain, let it rain, let it rain.
what I'd like you to do. As we close, I want you to close your eyes and think of the things God spoke to you about and me about. Think about what you can do to change them. Habit-wise, speech-wise, thought-wise. And think about what you're going to work on to change. One, two, three things. Don't think of ten. You won't do any. At the most, three. Once you've thought of that, lift up one hand if you can. Once you've thought of how to approach that. Am I going to change a speech element? A habit element? I'm going to do something to work on that. Raise a hand. All right, now I want you to turn to somebody and ask the Lord to give them strength. Pray one for another. Ask the Lord to give your brother, your sister strength to have the ability to accomplish what they've just lifted their hand to do. God, give them strength. You don't need to know what it is. You just need to help them pray. Lord, help my brother. Help my sister right now. Lord, I don't just want an emotional fix. I don't just want an emotional shift. I want something to metabolize out of this. I pray for my sister. God, that you give them strength every day. Every day. Every day. Every day. Bring it to their subconscious. Bring it to their present thinking. Let it rain on that part of their life. Oh, God, and help this thing affix itself to great faith, affix itself to great movements, affix itself to a great kingdom that we might receive the better part as you have described it. In the name of Jesus Christ.